In our gospel reading for today, Matthew records a situation that he experienced. A situation that he saw two completely different groups coming together. Oil and water coming together. And it happened right after Jesus called him to follow him. It's a situation that was burned in Matthew's mind. And it stuck with him. And he learned from it. My hope for us this morning is that we would learn something too. Something about ourselves and something about Jesus as we look at this passage. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as I read this passage again. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to receive the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There isn't much of a transition going on here in, in this text. At the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralytical man, a man who can't walk, and he forgives him of his sins. And before we know it, Jesus is sitting down at a table with a bunch of sinners and having a meal. How does he get from point A to point B? Well, there's a very important thing that happens somewhere in between there. Jesus calls Matthew. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And so now we see verse 10. They're sitting at a table eating a meal. Matthew and his friends, the tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus. Matthew doesn't share much of the details from getting from point A to point B because Matthew realizes this story isn't about him. It's about someone far greater. And so he just gives us the bare bones account. He gives us the important information. Luke, in his description of this event, gives us a little more information from Luke 5. He writes that Levi, who is the same person as Matthew, Levi and Matthew are the same person, gave a big reception and brought a great crowd in. And this is why we find them all sitting together in verse 10. The sinners and the tax collectors eating with Jesus. It's because Matthew has brought them all together. Matthew got his friends together and they shared a meal with Jesus. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Jesus call Matthew? Yes, we know Matthew wrote a book of the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew that we're reading. He wrote that, but this was before he wrote that book. Why did Jesus call Matthew? At this point in Jesus' life, he's going around and he's gathering disciples. Did Jesus call Matthew because he had some bookkeeping skills that Jesus needed? Did he call Matthew because Matthew was good with taxes and he'd be able to write off different tax things for his disciples? Was it because he needed some kind of administrative skills? The text says that Matthew was a tax collector sitting in his booth and Jesus called him. Did Jesus call Matthew because he had ministry potential 
And Jesus knew exactly what Matthew could do for the kingdom of God. The text doesn't answer that question for us, but what does the text say? The text tells us that Matthew was a tax collector. Now, something you need to know about tax collectors is they weren't popular. In fact, rather than popular, they were notorious. One commentator said, this is how the Jews thought of tax collectors, that they regarded them as the vilest of sinners. They were barred from the synagogue and were forbidden to have any religious or social contact with respectable Jews because others regarded them as traitors and liars. So when you see that phrase there, Matthew was a tax collector, this is what Matthew was. He wasn't thought highly by anybody. And this idea wasn't foreign to Matthew. No tax collector was surprised when they were shunned by their Jewish brethren. They collected taxes for the Roman government, not the Jewish authorities, the Roman government. A constant reminder that they were not free. A constant reminder that they couldn't do whatever they wanted to do. Constant reminder that they were under Roman rule. But tax collectors also had a reputation of getting rich off of others. They weren't like the tax people today, the CPAs that are trying to find you the biggest rebate. That would have been great. But these tax collectors were seeing how they could make an easy dollar off of people who would come to them. It wasn't an honest living. Remember the story of Zacchaeus who got rich off of other people and eventually paid them back because he felt badly about it. So the question comes, why would Jesus call Matthew this tax collector? And another question is, why would Matthew leave everything and follow Jesus? He's got a, a well-paying job. He's making plenty of money. Not a whole lot of friends, but plenty of money. And he's successful. Why would he leave his job to follow a stranger? Well, Jesus was no stranger. Matthew would have heard talk of all the things that Jesus had been doing. Healing lepers, healing the lame, causing the lame to walk again, casting out demons, calming storms, and even forgiving sins. Jesus was a big guy. It was a big guy, a big deal. And Jesus called Matthew. Why would Jesus call Matthew the tax collector? The first thing we notice is that Matthew gets a group of people together, a group of friends together and has a reception for Jesus. Is he trying to impress Jesus? Is he trying to be worth his salt and to pay his dues so that he can continue to follow Jesus? So that Jesus would, for some reason, still want to keep him around? Or is he somehow worthy of being called by Jesus? And again, the text doesn't answer this question, but I can't help but wonder what Matthew was thinking at that meal as he's gathered around his friends and Jesus, wondering how in the world can I fit in with Jesus? How in the world do these friends fit in with Jesus? We don't belong in his presence. Matthew was a tax collector. Do you think Matthew wondered why Jesus called him? Do you think, or have you ever wondered why Jesus has called you? Have you ever wondered if you fit in with Jesus or with the Jesus crowd? And what would you do if Jesus called you to follow him? My thoughts are interrupted by the thoughts of another group in this text. I can't dwell too much on that question as we read on to the next verse. The verse in verse 11, we see another group that has a question. 
The Pharisees asked the question, when they see his disciples and saw what's going on, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees asked this question from a respectable distance. Remember, they don't want to get themselves messy. They can't meet up with sinners because that would ruin their holiness, their own righteousness. In verse 10, Matthew describes a crowd that was there that day. Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And to the Pharisees, this group doesn't make sense. Here's Jesus, here's a a Jewish rabbi and his disciples who are following him, wanting to learn more about him and his teachings. And they're surrounded by a bunch of sinners. And the Pharisees ask the question, why? Why is Jesus eating with them? We already know that the tax collectors weren't the cream of the crop, so to speak. But this other group that was there was no cream of the crop either. They're identified here as sinners. Now that's a label that you want by your name, on your name tag, right? John, the sinner. No one wants to be identified as that. But yet here in the text, this is how this group is identified. The Pharisees weren't allowed to associate with sinners for fear of their sin rubbing off on them and tainting their righteousness. All their lives they were taught, good Jews don't associate with those people. And so it's possible that they're sincerely asking this question, why is your teacher eating with this group? It doesn't make sense. Did they know who they were eating with? And that's kind of our human nature, isn't it? To make sure other people know about the bad things that other people have done. It's almost like it's our civic duty to let the world know about this person and what they've done, to warn you about them. And sometimes it can be helpful information. But other times, it's just straight-up gossip is all it is. But these Pharisees come up to his disciples and they say, why is Jesus eating with the sinners and the tax collectors? Whatever the reason, the question stands. Why? Why? Jesus answers that question. He hears the question of the Pharisees and he enters into this conversation in verse 12. He says this, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And just like that, Jesus answers the questions that we've been asking. He hears the Pharisees and their question and he answers it. It's definitely not the one that they're expecting. It's not the one that they want to hear. But it's the exact answer that they need to hear. And it's the exact answer that you and I need to hear as well. Jesus identifies the righteous in this text as the healthy. As those who appear to be healthy and fine. They don't need a physician, do they? It's the sinners, the sick people that need to see the doctor. That are in need of a physician. And that's not hard for any of us to understand, is it? When we're feeling healthy and well, we don't go in for a well checkup, do we? No, we've got better ways to spend our money. We've got better ways to spend our time. But when that cold that we have drags on for a few weeks or maybe a month, then we start to bite the bullet and make it an appointment with the doctor because we're sick and we know that they can help us. But if we don't know that we're sick, we just carry on our merry old way without realizing that we may in fact be sick. This analogy that Jesus uses is brilliant and it makes perfect sense. 
The people that have it all together, the ones who have all the answers, the ones who know all that there is to know and exactly how everything works, and the ones who know that I'm healthy, I don't need any help, thank you very much. They don't need God. The people who know just what to do to get to heaven, the people who don't need Jesus to get to heaven, they don't need some religious crutch, they don't need someone to hold their hand through life, they're perfectly fine on their own. This is who Jesus describes here as the righteous. And they'll just do the best that they can. And they're content to think that in the end, God will say to them, well, you tried your best. I can't ask you to do anything that you can't really do, so I'll just take care of the rest. And you just keep on trying hard and and live your life the best that you can be, and I'll let you in eventually. Or maybe they think that they'll hear the words, you've done good enough, well done, come on in. These are the righteous that Jesus is referring to, the self-righteous, the ones who rely on their own works, on their own character, on their own zeal, on their own efforts, the ones who rely on me, myself, and I. I'll be just fine, thank you very much. And Jesus says here in this text, he didn't come to call them. But instead, who did he come to call? He came to call sinners. He came to call the ones who know what it takes to be saved, perfection, and who know that there is not any chance on this earth for me to be saved. I am not good enough. I've fallen short. He doesn't say he came for the ones who feel sorry for themselves or the ones who continue to beat themselves up because of what they've done in the past. No, it's not an issue of how bad you feel about what you've done. Jesus came to call sinners, the ones who recognize I'm not good enough, The ones who recognize I've fallen short. The ones who recognize that they are in fact sinners. Jesus didn't come to hang out with people who are just like him. He came to people who are the exact opposite. Who scripture defines as, Ephesians 2 defines us as enemies of God. People who were dead in their sin. Jesus, life himself, one who is holy and pure, came to live in this world to live and eat amongst sinners, amongst people who are completely other than him. He came to live among his enemies. What the Pharisees failed to recognize that day was that they fell in that same category, that Jesus came to live among them, that they were sinners whom Jesus came to call to himself. If only they would recognize it, However, in their minds, they were fine. They're doing a good enough job. They didn't need any help. And they definitely didn't want to associate with those sinners because they were righteous enough in themselves. They thought that if they kept the law enough, if they lived a good enough life, they didn't need Jesus. And so they rejected him, as Scripture shows us over and over and over again. But here in this text, Jesus is graciously calling out to them as well saying, if you recognize that you are a sinner, if you recognize that you're not holy enough, that you're not good enough, I'm here for you. I'm here to call you and to make you holy. And here we find the answer as to why Jesus called Matthew to follow him. It wasn't because of his skill set. It wasn't because of his money. It wasn't because of his worldly influence. And it wasn't because he knew how to throw a good dinner party either. 
And it wasn't the fact that he would record the Gospel of Matthew for us. No. There's a different reason why Jesus called Matthew. Jesus called Matthew that day because Matthew was a sinner. Jesus came to call sinners. And not just to call them, but to call them out of their sin, to call them into righteousness, to save them. To sinners anywhere and everywhere, Jesus calls out to them. Jesus calls out to you, follow me. Not because we're worthy. Not because we have something to offer God. Not because we have such great ministry potential as each one of us does. But simply for the fact that we are sinners. And as Murray read for us in Ephesians 2, but God, because of his rich love for us, came to save us. And that's the only reason that day why Jesus called out to Matthew, because he was a sinner in need of God's grace. And Jesus came to call sinners. Jesus calls out to you and me this morning to follow me. We've heard of who he is. We know about what he's done. And we don't deserve to be called out of this darkness of our lives. We don't deserve to be called out of our sinful lives. But Jesus in his grace comes to us and calls us to follow him. He calls us to life, eternal life. He calls us to salvation. Not because of our potential, not because he needs us, but simply because this is the only way for us to be saved, is to come to Christ when he calls us to follow him. And the last verse leaves the Pharisees with a lesson to be learned and leaves us with a lesson to be learned as well. And Jesus says to them, I desire compassion. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees knew what sacrifice was. Their all, whole lives were about sacrifice. Being a Pharisee meant that you lived by a very strict set of do's and don'ts and you were sure not to mix those up, not to accidentally bump into a sinner, it was a rigorous lifestyle, and it required much sacrifice. These Pharisees knew what it meant. They lived their lives set apart for God. It was all about sacrifice, thinking that somehow God would owe them one, thinking that somehow God would honor their sacrifice. And that's how we think too, isn't it? Sometimes maybe we won't blatantly say that just like that, but in the back of our minds, we think, God, I've, I've given this up for you, so now you owe me one. Or maybe if, God, I'm here this morning, I'm, I'm here at church, it's a nice day for fishing. God, you owe me one next time I go fishing. How about one about this big? We like to think that God owes us one, but he owes us nothing. And he has already given us more than what we could ask or hope for in Christ. It's easy to say, God, I've done so much for you. God, I've suffered for you. God, I've given up my life for you. I've given up my future for you. I've given up my finances for you. But God has already given us Jesus. And if we reject this gift of his one and only son who came to save us, he owes us nothing. He already provides for us our daily bread. He's given us everything we have. He owes us nothing. He has given Christ freely as a sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't need any more sacrifices, and he doesn't need us either. But instead, he calls out to us, and he says, follow me, and he calls out to us, and he says, I desire compassion from you. 
I desire mercy. What does that look like? Where does that come from? This compassion comes when we realize that we've been called because you and I are sinners. And God loves us too much to leave us that way in that state. When we realize that we didn't have anything to offer God and Jesus gave his life for us. When we realize that we were his enemies and he sent his son to die for us. This is where compassion comes from. When we understand our status before God as enemies of him. And yet he still left his throne on high to come and live amongst us. To call us to follow him. And to die for us. What does compassion look like? It's inviting your friends, the tax collectors, and sinners to come and dine with Jesus. Compassion is seeing the sick and not just turning a blind eye to their condition, but pointing them to the physician, pointing them to the one who came to heal them, the one who loves them so much that he died for them, the one who desires to call them out of darkness and into light, the one who desires that they too would follow him. When we read this passage, it's easy for us to walk away with the application that God wants us to reach out to sinners. And it's true. He does. He desires compassion from us, not sacrifice. But there's also another application that's easy for us to forget because we don't like to acknowledge it. And that is first and foremost, Jesus calls out to you, the sinner, to come and follow me. Jesus calls out to you, the sinner, to recognize that you are not righteous in and of yourself. And the only hope that we have in salvation is that Jesus comes and calls out to us to confess our sins and to follow him, and to be saved by Jesus. First and foremost, he wants us to recognize our sin. We ask ourselves the question sometimes, why would Jesus call me? What kind of things can Jesus do with my life? I'm just an average person. I don't have anything big to give to God. And the answer to that question, why would Jesus call you, is because you too are a sinner without any hope in this world. But Jesus came to be that hope. And Jesus loves you so much that he came to call you, to give you life and salvation through Jesus and him alone. So this morning, Jesus calls out to each one of us here this morning, follow me. Let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. That you are a God who sent his only son into this world to save sinners, among whom, Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners. God, I pray that you would Help us to acknowledge that to you, that you would forgive us of our sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and to call the sinners, the ones who know that they are not right, that they are not well. Lord, the ones who know that they can't save themselves. Jesus, thank you for coming and calling us to follow you and saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.